Hey guys, welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and I hope you're doing well from wherever you're joining us from. We have a lot to cover in tonight's episode, and I can't wait to get into it. But first, just in case this is the first time you've ever tuned in, let me tell you what the show is about. Each week, I primarily do three things in every episode. First, I cover defense news and hotspots happening around the world that could affect our country. Secondly, I work to unite the nation and make you feel better and more optimistic about the country's future, because it's probably not as bad as you've been hearing. Finally, at the end of each episode, I share some motivation and inspiration, because we all can use a little of that. In all honesty, by the end of this show, you should be a little better informed about our military and the events happening out there that don't typically make the news. You'll be a little more positive about our country and its future. Finally, you'll be a little stronger emotionally and mentally. That's what my goal is, and I try to do that while I'm working my hardest to unify our country. Because without question, our country's greatest threat is our anger toward each other and this wide political divide. So if you've been looking for a calmer, more optimistic news source, you've come to the right place. In fact, you may have come to just about the only place. I am going to do my absolute best tonight to keep the show positive, but unfortunately, the first part of the show is going to involve some not-so-great news for Ukraine and just a bit of a description of some of the challenges they are facing, and then I will definitely bring in some stuff to balance it at the middle part to end of the show, because there is some small rays of sunlight and I definitely want to try to stay as optimistic and calm about this as possible. But the reality is is that since the last episode it has not been a good week for Ukraine. And so let's just get into the first of several details that I want to get into regarding what is happening inside Ukraine right now. So we're going to begin with the bad news and then we'll go over some of the challenges. First, the absolutely horrible bad news. Since the last episode, the city of Avdivka has fallen to Russia. And sadly, not only did the city fall, but potentially hundreds of Ukrainian troops have been captured. So I want to read just a few sentences from a New York Times article. I have a gift link in the episode notes so you can read the entire article if you wish. The headline is, Hundreds of Ukrainian Troops Feared, Captured, or Missing in Chaotic Retreat. Uh, So here's the story, and I'm quoting. Hundreds of Ukrainian troops may have been captured by advancing Russian units or disappeared during Ukraine's chaotic retreat from the eastern city of Avdivka, according to senior Western officials and soldiers fighting for Ukraine. A devastating loss that could deal a blow to already weakening morale. The Russian capture of Avdivka has emerged as a significant symbolic loss for Ukrainian troops, a sign of the battlefield impact of the failure of the U.S. Congress so far to approve more military assistance as dwindling supplies of artillery shells make it even harder to hold the line. Estimates of how many Ukrainians were captured or missing vary, and a precise count may not be possible until Ukraine solidifies new defensive lines outside the city. But two soldiers, with knowledge of Ukraine's retreat, estimated that 850 to 1,000 soldiers appear to have been captured or are unaccounted for. Western officials said that range seemed accurate. So they're saying hundreds for sure, but potentially as many as 850 to 1,000 have been captured in this retreat out of Avdivka. Now you'll recall from some of the previous episodes that the Russians had enclosed around the city on three different sides and had almost completely encircled it. Last episode, President Zelensky had said that the city was going to be reinforced with the new general, but I guess in hindsight that was a bluff. And they were really trying to get out the troops. And unfortunately, I suppose they didn't buy enough time and they retreated too late. There were some articles out there where Western officials were very frustrated 
that just like with Bakhmut, they felt like Ukraine tried to hold on for too long, and in doing so, they increased the number of losses, whereas Western officials and generals believe Ukraine should have retreated sooner. But that's purely Monday morning quarterbacking at this point. The reality is, Avdivka has fallen. You may also recall in the last episode that I mentioned Congress going on a short break for about 10 days or so. That had made a lot of news shortly after the podcast. Not that I broke that news or anything like that, but people started becoming aware of how big a situation it was that Congress was going to be out of session. And so that has increasingly been making the news as Ukraine has suffered this pretty large battlefield loss. It's very clear that the pressure is building on the House, the Republicans in the House, to do something. So the pressure is building. What's stopping it? Well, let me quote David French. He's a New York Times columnist. He's an author. He's a fairly conservative guy, but he's not a MAGA guy. Let me quote what he said. Quote, Russia is threatening to break Ukrainian lines in five different places. The need for American aid is urgent. Most Americans want to help Ukraine, and most of the House supports aid. But Speaker Mike Johnson answers to Donald Trump, and Trump apparently wants Ukraine to fall. And I think as you start to look at the media consensus, that seems to be the pretty obvious answer, because initially it was about border security first, and they did the bipartisan bill that was negotiated for weeks and weeks in the Senate, led by a Republican senator, Langford, out of Oklahoma. And then immediately Trump wanted to kill that deal, and so that deal was killed. And then they tried to pass this Ukraine aid bill, which they did in the Senate. And then the House said, no, 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 we're not going to take that up. So it does seem like Trump is the one who does not want this to pass. And it does seem as though the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, is taking his orders from Donald Trump. And in fact, Speaker Mike Johnson was actually at visiting with the former president at Mar-a-Lago on President's Day. So it's kind of hard to not agree with what the consensus is among the media about who Speaker Mike Johnson is listening to. But as I said, the pressure is growing on the House from the American people. And it isn't just the pressure from the American people. It's the pressure on the battlefield as well in Ukraine. It's more clear than ever that something needs to happen or some very catastrophic results are going to happen inside Ukraine. Let's talk for just a moment about just how bad is that ammunition shortage inside Ukraine. So how bad is it? Well, the reality is it's pretty bad. Take a listen to this, which is some recent reporting from an NBC reporter who visited the front lines. Well, on the ground in Ukraine, Russian forces have captured a key city in the eastern part of Ukraine, marking Russia's largest gain on the battlefield in nine months, as Ukraine's military now faces a critical shortage of ammunition. Joining us now from eastern Ukraine is NBC News chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel. Richard, what's the latest there? So I was just talking to soldiers out here in eastern Ukraine a, f a few minutes ago, and they were telling me that the shortages of ammunition are now so extreme that they're they're counting bullets. They are rationing their uh, their artillery rounds. They're rationing their regular uh, ammunition that they put into their rifles. They still have enough drones, they say. Uh, because they have a local manufacturing base. They're using, in, in some cases, 3D printers to make uh, drones. But they are not in a position right now to launch uh, any new offensives, and they are not really in a position to hold the rush, hold the line. Uh, we, we saw the loss of, of Divka, which is not, not very far from here, out in eastern Ukraine, uh, over the weekend. And... That was a, a terrible blow for the Ukrainian military because the Ukrainian military had been holding on to this small city for, for many years. It had been a, a contested area. But as they were overwhelmed, as they were outmanned, as they were outgunned, the government decided that holding it simply wasn't worth it. And as we've seen on the other side, as we've seen with the, with the, the Russians, once you start losing territory and once you start having to go on the back foot and retreat, you can lose territory quite quickly. It can 
cleave off a little bit like glaciers off the uh, side of a mountain. It doesn't necessarily just go one little town and then stop. So right now you have a situation where Ukrainian forces out here in the east are in retreat. And, and the concern is, can they stop that? Can they stop this wound before it spreads and, and they lose a significant amount of, of territory? And the way they do that, uh, soldiers here, here tell me, uh, the only way to do that is to urgently get more weapons, more supplies, particularly from the United States. We've heard that time and time again, but we're, we're seeing it now uh, out here in the East. It's not theoretical anymore. Clearly, the situation is pretty dire in Ukraine, and we're going to discuss a bit more of the funding situation and some optimism in just a moment. But there is one other bit of battlefield news that I did want to share that is not necessarily great news. So let me share just a little bit more reporting. This involves renewed concerns about a nuclear plant in Zaporizhia. This is the world's largest nuclear power plant. And we've talked about this in prior episodes, but it's mostly been stable until of late. And here's why it's now making the news again. This reporting comes from Richard Engel as well. So the Zaporizhia plant, the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe, uh, has six uranium reactors. And the plant was taken over in the early weeks of the war by Russian forces. So Russian forces captured the plant. They took over the facility they captured the personnel inside, and Ukrainian forces were able to hold on to the opposite bank of the Dnieper River. So the, the plant is right on the front line with Ukrainian forces on one side of the river and Russian forces on the other side of the river. And the IAEA, and I spoke to the director general, is deeply concerned about this facility. One, because it's right on the front line. Two, the... The knock-on effect of the war is having a tremendous impact on the plant. Now, the plant is in a semi-shutdown uh, state right now, so it is uh, in a kind of a safe mode, but it still requires outside electricity. And there are four electrical lines leading into the plant. And Ukrainian officials, including the former director of the plant, uh, told me that Three of those four external power lines, which are uh, essential for cooling and keeping the, the reactors stable, are not working. And the fourth, the final line, is faulty. So there have been eight blackouts at this plant recently, the last one uh, just a few months ago in December. And the IAEA considers this plant the most dangerous nuclear facility in the world. Ukrainians are describing it as a ticking time bomb. And they say that if there were to be an, another blackout and the diesel generators, which luckily did kick in, the final uh, backup, don't kick in, uh, then you could get a meltdown along the lines of Fukushima, contaminating uh, large parts of Ukraine and beyond and spreading out into the region, contaminating uh, crops, livestock, uh, and potentially killing and, uh, and making people, uh, tens of thousands of people, uh, either sick or killing them directly. Clearly, the news about Avdivka and the renewed concerns about the Zaporizhia nuclear plant are not good news for anyone that's in the West or that's been keeping up with this war. But the one bright spot is that all of this has brought Ukraine back to the news in a much larger way than it had been in the past few months. I feel like Ukraine news had kind of started slipping off of the radar. The front lines seemed stabilized. Ever since people talked about a stalemate back in November, I think some people in America possibly even began to think, hey, Ukraine can hold on its own. It doesn't need our help. And so I think Americans, as we are so often apt to do, we started to fall asleep, so to speak. So I'm trying to look at this in a positive way that maybe Americans are starting to pay attention more. And it seems like from the people I follow on social media and even from bystanders that maybe haven't been as tuned in that more and more folks are beginning to pay attention. So that is some good news. Now let's move to a column in the Washington Post by David Ignatius, who's obviously a long time, decades long, columnist and observer of foreign affairs. And he always has good takes on issues. He wrote a column called Ukraine Faces a Valley of Death. There's a way Biden can help it get across. 
Now in the column, his solution, let me just tell you the solution, which isn't really what I'm going to share because we've talked about the solution a lot in the past year, which is the U.S. sending those long-range ATACMS missiles. That was one of the solutions he suggests. But I know that you guys who've been listening for quite a while know what ATACMS missiles are. We've talked about them so many times. And so I don't really want to get in the weeds on that. What I did want to cover from his column was a couple of things. Now, clearly, the big news since last week, besides the fall of Avdivka, was the death of Alexei Navalny, who was obviously a heroic opposition leader to Vladimir Putin, who voluntarily, after being poisoned, went back to Russia, was put in a Siberian prison camp, and died in very obscure circumstances. That's probably the nicest way I can say it. So he mentions that, David Ignatius mentions the death of Alexei Navalny and how that shows that Putin is feeling more confident. But what he really gets into in the column that I wanted to bring up, and I do have a gift link to this in the episode notes, is how cold-blooded Russia is in the use of these, of just its manpower. Let me just read a couple of small parts. And then he also mentioned something that I wasn't quite aware of. So here's the part that I wanted to mention and read from. Russian troops are grinding forward using their two great national resources, warm bodies and cold-blooded patience. That's how Russia fights its wars, from Napoleon to Hitler to now. Zelensky quoted them as saying, quote, They are crazy, the Russians. They are raging. Tens of thousands of their soldiers. That's what they have. And so this was Zelensky speaking at the Munich conference. Zelensky said Ukraine, in contrast, was struggling to protect its troops, whom he described as, quote, our main weapon. Now, stepping away from the column for just a moment, most Western observers believe Russia expended at least seven to 10,000 troops trying to take Avdivka, which isn't a very large city. It shouldn't, in theory, be that big of a victory but they just would not stop sending these large groups of infantry at, at, at the city of Avdivka. Now let me return to that column because I wanted to mention something that David Ignatius pointed out, which I wasn't quite as aware of. This is one of those facts that you kind of pick up a little bit from some Western analysts, but it's never been quite so clear. And that fact is, is that Putin has been using lots of troops from ethnic minorities from some of the smaller Russian states, such as Chechnya and Dagestan. And interestingly, he gets into the details on this some, and he mentions how the pay for soldiers at the front is three times what they would normally earn. And furthermore, families of dead soldiers receive a bonus worth more than $50,000, which is obviously a lot of money in Russia. It's a decent chunk even here in America. And so one European ambassador at the Munich Security Conference was talking about that the war has brought a kind of prosperity for poor Russians. So I found that really interesting because I think in the West, a lot of times we see these very high casualty numbers in Russia, which are now above 300,000. And you think, when are the Russians going to turn? When are the people, the mothers, when are they going to turn against this? And then you read something like this and you remember that Much of these casualties are in such poor parts of the country that people aren't as organized. They're nowhere near Moscow or St. Petersburg or the cities that would matter if you tried to have some type of mutiny or revolutionary type movement. And so I think it's just important to keep that in mind. And then one other great thing that David Ignatius talked about is going back to Alexei Navalny's death. Ignatius goes into a bit about that this was all part of Putin's calculus, that Vladimir Putin doesn't care about elite public opinion, as David Ignatius says, because he said it doesn't threaten his control. And Putin, according to Ignatius, doesn't care that demonstrators are laying flowers or staging small marches. And he quotes a Kremlin official that had said this to a European ambassador several years ago. And so he was talking to this European ambassador at the Munich Security Conference, and this European ambassador said that a Kremlin official had told him, quote, anything below a million we can handle, 
So meaning anything less than a million people rioting or marching, Putin can handle that. And so the diplomat, the ambassador, was telling Ignatius recently that thousands of demonstrators were just a drop in the ocean and that Putin didn't even care, didn't even bat an eye. Even though, even that small number, he did arrest some of those protesters who were laying flowers or speaking out against the war. But this was kind of a disappointing thing to read. I wish some of these facts were wrong because I've long hoped that at some point the Russian people would stand up and try to push for their freedom, but it doesn't seem like that's really happening at this moment, at least. Although, as the old saying goes, you never see a huge uprising and a turning of power until after it starts and has already happened, and then months and months after it happens, you're like, of course it happened. How did we not see that coming? It was so obvious, so maybe something like this still occurs, but again, it just doesn't really seem like we're anywhere near that point from what you can see from the outside. Now, of course, Russia's a closed society. There's no free media, and so it's hard to know for sure, but there just doesn't seem to be a lot of signs of that right now, and certainly not a year into a war that has cost so many lives. Okay, so we've still got some more great stuff to get into, including some positive things that I want to share. So we'll do that right after this break, and we'll also cover, obviously, the motivation and inspiration section, which we share every week. Just a quick reminder. If you love what you're listening to and would like to support what I'm doing, you can sign up on my Substack page or on my Patreon page to help support the show. For $5 per month, you can help me grow this into something even bigger. And I think by doing that in a weird way, you'll help contribute to me pulling off something I really want to do, but at a much larger level. You'll help unify our country, you'll help educate more voters, and ultimately, you'll help more people become more engaged and better informed. We all know that studies prove that more informed, more engaged citizens lead to a better government, and ultimately, that will lead to a better country. I really do have some big dreams for this platform, including increased frequency, but I do need some help getting there. Currently, the show is only supported by listeners such as yourself. We have no sponsors or advertisers, but no pressure, especially if you're new. If you're new, just sit back and enjoy it. But if you've been enjoying this for a while, if it's helped bring a sense of calm and faith in our country, then please consider helping support the show. Details for signing up can be found on my Substack page and in the episode notes. Thanks in advance for your support. I really do appreciate it. Alright, so we've talked about the fighting at the lower level, on the battlefield, and a little bit in regards to the larger level of Ukraine. But let's pull back away from that lower level to a much higher level, and even at the level of various battlefields or battle spaces, so to, so to speak, let's look at the big picture for just a moment. And part of why I want to share this is that I think all of us, I, I want to try to educate all of us, including myself, on some of the larger issues that happen when we get too focused internally as a country. And obviously this show is about defense news. It's about foreign things happening out there that could affect our country. And so this is just a great little segment that just really helped reinforce some of the things I already believed and would just help, I think, even you as a listener to remember what happens when America doesn't stand in the breach, so to speak. Now, the following is from Admiral James Stavridis. This is probably one of the more distinguished gentlemen that you could possibly quote from. He obviously was a four-star admiral, spent 37 years in the military. I mean, that's no joke. Additionally, he was the 16th Supreme Allied Commander for NATO, 
from 2009 to 2013 with responsibility for Afghanistan, Libya, the Balkans, Syria, counter-piracy, cybersecurity. He also served as the commander of U.S. Southern Command, responsible for all military operations in Latin America from 2006 to 2009. So this is the kind of person that you kind of probably should listen when they're speaking. Not that you always have to agree, but additionally, he also has a Ph.D. in international relations. So very well read, written 12 books, four-star admiral, long, distinguished career in the military. So I just wanted to share what he sh what he said because it was, like I said, it was just really riveting. Take a listen for yourself. This is a 1939 moment when the United States can lead the band here and shut down Vladimir Putin now in Ukraine, which is not a NATO member. And if we don't shut him down now, it will be called appeasement and it will have a knock-on effect that we will pay for later. From 1939, we kind of tried to come home and hide back here in the United States. In 1941, the world reached out for us. We ended up in two global wars, one with Imperial Japan, the other with Nazi Germany. So history has shown us this movie already. Now's our chance to stop it. And, and I'll conclude with this, everybody. You know, we've talked about kind of the philosophy of this and the importance of it and the historical references, there's a very pragmatic reason that we ought to continue to, to build on this NATO alliance, and it's called the rest of the world. We are desperately seeking now for our NATO allies to come to the Middle East and operate with us to shut down Houthi pirates. We are asking our NATO allies to come to the South China Sea and sail with us so China doesn't uh, simply co-opt that enormous body of water. There are real pragmatic reasons we want to keep this alliance together and, uh, you know, not to torture football one more time, but we get to be the quarterback of this alliance. Um, the stupidest thing we could do is simply walk away from that role, fire the offensive line, and decide that we don't want to play the game anymore because the game will come here and find us. I want to share one more small segment on this topic. This is from former Congressman Joe Scarborough, who's obviously the host of Morning Joe on MSNBC. He's a Republican. But he makes a really good point, and then Admiral Stavridis speaks uh, one more time at the end of this. But I think this is just a couple more great points that are worth listening to. Oh, it will it will come here and find us, and you know it's so stupid. We 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 do this all the time. You know, in 2010, I, most Americans agreed with President Obama. I'm not saying what he did was stupid. In 2010, uh, because so many people. You know, myself included, said, okay, well, we've been over in Iraq enough. Let's just bring them home. We brought them home. Then came ISIS. We didn't move in Syria. 500,000 dead. I'm not saying we have to send in 200, 300,000 troops everywhere. We need to support people on the ground. We need to support the Kurds. Maybe we send in a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there. It has worked. It has, it, it, we have now figured out how to Admiral, uh, put in a small footprint, and with that small footprint, like, for instance, in Syria, push back Iran, push back Syria, push back Russia, push back Turkey, push back, well, destroy ISIS. I mean, we figured this out, and yet with Donald Trump and with the House Republicans, they, they really are. It's, it's 1939 isolationists. They, they, they are appeasers. They are Neville Chamberlain. It's all they are. They're Neville Chamberlain and the message they send to Vladimir Putin by following Donald Trump, who is beyond Neville Chamberlain. Uh, Neville, Neville Chamberlain was actually an honorable man, made the wrong call. But it, it's 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 far worse than that. Uh, and so what what is the impact not only on our allies, but what are they saying in Beijing tonight? Mm. In Beijing, they are doing high fives at the prospect of breaking the transatlantic alliance because we are so much weaker when the pieces and parts start to fall apart. And Joe, to your point about 
using smaller footprints around the world. That's what we did in Colombia and ended up taking out an insurgency there before it took over a massive and important country. That's what we did in the Balkans. We never had hundreds of thousands of troops there. We can do this smart. We don't have to be the world's policemen. Final thought, um, it's so much easier when you do it with allies. Winston Churchill, most quotable man in the world said, you know, it's pretty frustrating fighting with allies. But you know, the only thing worse is fighting without allies. I'll take mm -hmm. the allies. There you go. Well, and and the, 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 the insane thing is, when we are with our European allies, I mean, you, we've got a $50 trillion GDP, to China's $18 trillion, to Russia's $1.2 right. Come on, think about that. When we are together, we have a defense budget of well over a billion dollars when we are together with our European allies. Like, this is not a close call. I hope you got something from those sections I shared. I hope you got even half as much as I got from them because it really was a good just reinforcement and a reminder of some of our history in the past few decades and even going back 100 years to World War II. Now, I promised to end the note with some, or end the episode with some good news. And so I've got two things I want to share. The first comes from Republican Congressman Michael McCall. He is the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And he said just a day ago that even though Speaker Johnson is holding up Ukraine aid, I want to read his quote. Quote, I don't see any way of getting out of putting on the floor the Israel, Indo-Pacific, and eventually Ukraine funding bill. Either Speaker Johnson will do it himself, put it on the floor himself, or it's going to be by virtue of a discharge petition which is a complete evisceration of his power because it basically says we're going to do this without the speaker being in charge. Just a quick reminder, the speaker only has a majority of two votes and there are a fair number of Republicans, probably a dozen or more in the House, that do want to pass the Ukraine funding. So once the Congress goes back into session, it seems like it's going to pass the House. It has already passed the Senate, and it passed with quite a few senators, as I said last week. So that is some good news. So I wanted to end on that good news, and I want to reinforce it with just one other bit of good news. And this comes from the former RNC chairman. You guys probably have seen his name or heard him in interviews. His name is Michael Steele. He was a as I said, the Republican National Committee chairman was very successful. He's now a commentator. But there's very few people who know the right better than Michael Steele. And he seems optimistic that the House will pass this as well. But let me just share his words so that if you're like me and you need some encouragement, you need a positive note to end on, so to speak, at least the news section. We'll get into the motivation and inspiration section. But if you want to end on a high note, which is... What I like to try to do, let me share with you what, again, Michael Steele, the Republican National Committee chairman, former chairman, said. I think the, the um, Ukrainian uh, funding bill will ultimately pass the House because the political damage is so great at this point. Um, they can't afford to add more to it. I mean, there, at some point, you have to stop the bleeding. And, and the rationale is going to come that this begin begin to help us do that. Um, and I think the I think I think the reality of of what what the spring will look like uh, for Ukraine absent that oh, it's, um, it's, becomes becomes it's, hard. It's very bad. You probably obviously heard another voice in that, and that was from Rick, Rick Wilson, probably a voice you recognize. He's a former Republican as well, and a member of the Lincoln Project, but he was the one who was interviewing Rick, or I apologize, Michael Steele, in that interview. So again, I think this will pass the House, but we should not rest on our laurels. And I think there's two things that we can do. Obviously, the selfish thing that I would suggest is, if you have a friend who's not fully informed on the issue, 
send them the link to this podcast. Say, hey, it's about a 45-minute episode. You'll learn some things. You'll understand the issue a little better. You'll understand why it's important. I think that's a good way to inform people. So that's option one, but that's a little self-serving. So here's option two, which you most certainly should do, and that is contact your house member, whoever that person is. Now, back in November and early part of December, I contacted both of my senators and my house member. Depending on where you live, now the, the bill has already passed the Senate, so you just need to reach out to your house member. It's easy to look up. Just search, find out who your congressional representative is in the House. Each of them are only are in terms of only two years, so they will be facing the ballot in just a few months. An email, a phone call to a staffer, those are the kind of things they pay attention to. And even if you have a Republican and you're like, eh, he's, he or she's not going to listen, I respectfully disagree. These elections are going to be very close. The Republicans will probably lose the House. Even the Republicans that you in your district, they know this vote is closer than they want. This vote being both the one coming up and also the one that's going to happen in November. They know their political careers are on the line. They know that some of their base in their heart, going back all the way to Reagan, they are not a pro-Soviet Union, pro-Russia top background. They have literally grown up knowing that Russia is an evil state. And so they know that they have to be careful. So I would suggest you reach out to your house member if you want to do something. I think it would help. Now let me read a comment that inspired me and that I hope will inspire you. This was in a, in the Washington Post. It's from um, the name of the commenter is Diana USA. So obviously that's not the full name. A commenter before her that she was replying to had said that they felt like they were wasting their time and money trying to support Ukraine. Here's how Diana USA responds. Dear David, you are not wasting your time or money, but more of us need to step up and act now. Putin must be stopped. Let our anger over the death of Alexei Navalny move us to action. Alexei said, quote, it is not shameful to do too little. It is shameful to do nothing. Yulia, Novani's wife, is stepping into the breach. If this incredibly brave woman can take over the depths, in the depths of her sorrow, how can we not act? Please, call your house member today. It's easy enough to look up his or her information online. Urge them to work with the entire house to get the Ukraine funding bill to the floor opposing all other floor action if necessary, and bring it to a vote. Ukraine is our front line. They are doing the heavy lifting. If they fall, it will be our men and women at the front once Putin invades a NATO ally, and you know he will. He has already told us so. We can all do something. Write. Call. Donate your time or resources or money. Fatigue is the enemy of the decent of democracy. So please keep the faith and join the fight in any way you can. Thank you. All of our grandchildren will one day thank us. That was such a moving comment that I felt like I had to read it. So allow that to inspire you to just take a few minutes to email or call your House Congress member. It matters. Let's move to the motivation and inspiration section, which is one of the best parts of the show. This is the motivation and inspiration section. I share these each week because I think all of us could use a few words of encouragement. We all influence those around us and the work we do at our jobs, in our homes, and in our communities is important. So let's dig a little deeper and step up our game for ourselves, our kids, our spouse, our friends, our community, and for our country. Let's spread a little more love and a few more smiles. Here's the first one. Stay prepared. Opportunities are coming. Again, stay prepared. Opportunities are coming. That's a good one. Got to keep the faith, right? Next one. When you meet a man, you judge him by his clothes. 
when you leave, you judge him by his heart. Again, when you meet a man, you judge him by his clothes. When you leave, you judge him by his heart. That's a good one. All right, next one. Be the person you look up to. I love that one. Again, be the person you look up to. All of us should have those role models that we almost, to some degree at least, model ourselves on. So be the person you look up to. That's such a good one. All right, here's the next one. Trying times are not the times to stop trying. That's a good one. Again, trying times are not the times to stop trying. Here's the next one. What's happening in your life is a result of what's happening in your mind. Man, that's another good one. What's happening in your life is a result of what's happening in your mind. Here's the next one. I'd rather be a failure in something that I love than a success in something that I hate. That is such a good one. Again, I'd rather be a failure in something that I love than a success in something that I hate. Here's the next one. Everyone has ideas. Success is all about execution. That's so good, too. Everyone has ideas. Success is all about execution. We all know that person who's on the couch or who dreams big but just never even takes that first step, right? All right. If you think you can, you will. If you think you can't, you'll never. Mindset is everything. That's a good one. I think I've read a similar one to that a time or two in some previous episodes. But again, if you think you can, you will. If you think you can't, you'll never. Mindset is everything. This next one's a pretty good one too. The growth journey is simply refusing to accept what society has taught you. You are constantly unlearning it so that you can make better decisions. It's pretty good. The next one's a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. That is so good. The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. This next one is one you should remember when you share your dreams to someone or you talk about it. Because a lot of times your friends and your family, they mean well, but they will kind of caution you if not at times, almost stomp out your dreams. Because it is very hard when someone is dreaming big to hear that and not be concerned for that person or maybe not tell them to maybe lower their aim. Uh, So this quote is, People that don't have the same vision as you will never understand why you work so hard or distance yourself at times. That is so good. People that don't have the same vision as you will never understand why you work so hard or distance yourself at times. All right, so I like to always share a few from the Bible just because that book has become such a source of strength and wisdom and even calm for me during the past year. The first one this week is from Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? That is so good. Again, if God is for us, who can be against us? The next one is from Psalms chapter 34, verses 18 and 19. The Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. Good people suffer many troubles, but the Lord saves them from them all. It's really good. Then we'll do one more from Genesis. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. That's from Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. Again, it is, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. That is so powerful. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I mean, that's the goal, right? Regardless of your faith, be a decent human being, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode. I hope as you go through this week that you will act a little nicer on social media and in the world as well. Smile at folks in the grocery store, do small acts of kindness, and remember that most Americans are good, 
and they will help you in an emergency, even if you don't agree politically. Now, I have to finish with two things. I want to say a bit about myself and my books, in case you're new to the show, and then I want to say just a few words for those struggling with PTSD or with mental illness, since veterans are at a 57% higher risk of suicide than their peers of the same age groups who haven't served. Now, first, the part about myself and my books. In case you have absolutely no idea who I am, I am a prior military vet. I spent four years in the Marine Corps, all of that time in the infantry. After my enlistment, I went to college at the University of Tennessee, became a journalist, and spent more than 10 years in the news business. Besides all of that, I've also written 12 books. Those books include a series about a Marine Corps sniper, several novels about a police detective and private investigator, and a few books about war, such as World War II and Afghanistan. Basically, these are fast-moving books with lots of action and plot twists, because those are the kind of books I've always enjoyed reading. These books have been very successful, thanks to all of y'all's help. In fact, I've been fortunate to have sold more than 70,000 copies to date, so if you're one of those people who have purchased one of my books or told others about me, I really appreciate it. They are not traditionally published, so there is no big book publisher out there or marketing team that are pushing these books out. It's literally word of mouth. I am proudly independently published or self-published, as those in the industry like to say. They say that as a term of almost ridicule, but I embrace it. I am proud that myself and many other authors have been confident enough to find our own book cover designers, our own editors, etc., you can find more information about these books in the episode notes, or you can look on Amazon just by searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell. The second thing I want to discuss before we end this episode is I have to talk about PTSD and suicide for just a moment. As I said earlier, veterans are at a 57% higher risk of suicide than those who have never served, but this isn't just for veterans. We can all get in really low spots in our life. But I like to tell people it's just a season. It's just a valley. Now, if you are having serious issues, you can call 988 and select 1. Or you can even text 838-255. So you can call 988, select 1, or text 838-255. And you can talk to a crisis line responder anytime, day or night, 24-7. This is whether you're a veteran or a civilian. But I know this is hard to do. And I know most of you won't. So I have to be a little mean here. The fact is that when we had drill instructors or drill sergeants yelling at us, or even if you never served, if you had that football coach or baseball coach that was pushing you, when someone pushes you, you can go further than when it's just yourself. So I'm going to be mean for a moment. I'm going to be that drill instructor or that football coach. I have to say, you cannot give up. Do not lose this fight. Do not make your parents or family have to plan your funeral. Do not make them feel guilty that they did not check on you, that they could not reach you. Do not leave your wife or kids here without you. You can hold on for another day, and if you do, I believe the next day will be a little easier. If you are in a fight that you worry you may lose, call someone. Call a friend or a family member. It's easy to do. Just tell them, hey, I need to talk. I'm just having some depressed thoughts or feelings right now. Please, that's all you've got to do. Or you can call 988 and select one. But I do have to be mean. You cannot quit. Do not quit. Don't do this to your family or friends. You're in a valley and this world needs you. Probably your parents need you. I mean, seriously, who's going to take care of your parents in 30 years? I'm serious. I just helped take care of my mom before she passed. I'm now helping take care of my dad. So who's going to do it if you make the worst decision ever? Are you just going to let the system take care of them? How horrible is that? You cannot quit. Don't you dare quit. Don't make the mistake. There's something you're meant to do. You just can't see it because you're in this immediate fog and pain. You can't see that end result. There's a mission for you to do. Maybe it's to coach Little League. Maybe it's to help others with PTSD. Maybe it's to run for office. There's some calling for you, you just haven't found it. And so you're in this fog, and you're depressed, and it just feels like it's all too much. And giving up is easy. It's the easiest thing you can do. But you can't do that. Find a way to get involved. Stop isolating yourself. Visit a veterans group. 
the VFW, something like that. Visit a church near you. Visit some family that you've lost touch with or that you've grown apart from. Reach out to an old friend, one from even high school, one you haven't talked to in a while. They are probably dying to talk to you. But if you're struggling, I beg of you, call the Veterans Crisis Line Responder anytime, day or night, 988-SELECT-1. Or you can even start moving toward God, which is something I think you should do. If you don't already have some kind of faith that you lean on, then let Jesus save you. He can drive out the devil and the horrendous evil thoughts in your head. He wants you to reach out to him. You can reach him at any time through prayer, through reading the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, download a Bible app on your phone or look up Bible websites online. Even simpler, I have a link in my episode notes that I think can help you. It's a story about my dog who was a stray that we adopted from the shelter. My dog's name is Ozzy, and the title of the article is Be Like Ozzy, Go Near Your Master. It's got a subtitle of The Power of Prayer, Part 1. Give that a read. I think it will help. Or start just reading the Bible. Read some of the Psalms or Proverbs, or start with the New Testament, with the book of Matthew. I think you'll find the Bible will start drawing you in and changing your life. I think it'll even start speaking to you. But you really can't believe this until you start reading it some. I always like to end the show by reminding people you can reach out to me at any time. You can comment on the episode. I try to monitor those. You can also reach out privately at authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. Again, that's authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. You can say hi. You can vent. You can send news tips. I love all three of those things. Hey, here's one other thing. This podcast is about defense news. But did you know I also write about politics on a weekly basis? Yes, I actually do. So if you love my moderate, optimistic view of politics and want to know more about how I see things, I've got a link in the episode notes to my political blog. It's called Thoughts from a Southern Gentleman. And what I try to do is I try to write posts that are full of kindness and hope that are Lincoln-like, if you will. So I truly believe most Americans are good and we need compromise, unity, and love, not mockery or extreme. So that's what I try to do. Again, you can find a link to that in the episode notes or just Google Thoughts from a Southern Gentleman along with the name Stan or Mitchell. Hey, thanks so much for hanging with me. It's truly an honor to talk with all of you each week and to know that there's a few of you out there who are listening and who care about our country and our military and these issues the same way that I do. I love you all, but never forget that God loves you more. If you want true peace and strength and wisdom, make sure you read your Bible some this week. It'll help you a lot. And also... If you're doing well, reach out to a friend or someone who might be struggling, whether they are young or old. The true strength of this country is its people, and that includes you folks listening to me right now. So be a leader, be a doer, be a servant to someone. With all of that being said, I'll catch you all next week. You have been listening to The View from the Front. I hope you enjoyed the show.